Welcome, dear Out to Lunchers. And if you're not feeling festive yet, this may just sway you in that direction. We've got a real-life pop star today. He's one of the UK's most successful songwriters and was in the biggest boy band of the 90s. He sold 50 million albums, written 24 top tens, penned 13 number one singles, got six Ivan Velos and a partridge in a pear tree. Well, okay, maybe not the partridge bit, but he has released a Christmas album. Today, we talk about knocking up a song in half an hour, music kit, rivalries within his band, music kit, accidentally chatting to Prince, music kit, and recording his Christmas single with a portable recorder and a mattress. It is, of course, Gary Barlow. I was singing at the end of this party, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask a couple of mates to come. I feel like I'm on my own here. I was working with Nicole Scherzinger at the time, and I said, Nicole, we, are you in LA? She says, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I said, will you just come and be a friendly face? She said, can I bring a plus one? I said, yeah, bring a plus one. I was thinking, you know, a neighbor or a girlfriend or... She, she brought Prince with her. <laughs> now, one thing I know about my guest Gary Barlow is that he really is into his food and drink. He cooks a lot. He loves his wine. He's even got his own wine. Um, so I brought him to Corrigan's. It's the flagship restaurant of a great chef called Richard Corrigan, uh, who also has Benley's, where I interviewed Eddie Marsan. It's off Park Lane. It's fancy. Big fisted food, big flavours, great wine list. I think Gary will be very happy here. Let's get inside. Hello. Gary! We've not met before, have we? We've never met no, before. No, <laughs> no. I just thought I'd check. I didn't think I had. So, uh, how are you? I'm very well. Good. This is why I love London so much. This is the perfect restaurant where it's decorations, it feels Christmassy. I love December in London. The day we're, we're talking is the release date of the sure. dream of Christmas. Sure. Would you like to start with a glass of champagne? Uh, I think we possibly should, shouldn't we? Yes, we will. please, okay. that'd be great. Christmas songs have played a significant part in your career, haven't they? When you were 15, you entered yes. a major competition that was run by Pebble Mill at One. BBC a great, One. A great show in many ways. Yes. It was called A Song for Christmas, the show Thank was. You. And uh, cheers. Cheers, and congratulations to, on the new album. Thank you, and lovely to meet you. Good to meet you. And a great choice of restaurant, by the way. My first ever time on TV, there was another young 15-year-old on there singing his single, Alla Jones. Blimey. He was on the show. I mean, it was, I remember sitting there with my music teacher and we were like, well, we thought ours was good. This is crazy. Listen to that voice. Was, was Alan giving it large? He was. As a 15-year-old. I, I think it was walking in the air. He was doing something like that. We met again when I started the group, and we've been talking for years and years about doing something together. This record is the first time we, we sing A Child's Christmas in Wales on this album, me and Alad, and it's the first time we've worked together since that date. You do a lot of actual collaborations. You know, your single was with Sheridan. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Did you know when you wrote the song that Sheridan Smith was going to be the person for it? I actually met her in the dark wing of the Blackpool Opera House. We were doing the Royal Variety last oh, December. Oh, that's kind of perfect, isn't perfect. it? We were waiting to go Gary on. Gary Barlow meets Sheridan Smith in the wings <laughs> in Blackpool. So she said, oh, I'm a pleasure to meet you. I've always been a fan. Will you keep in touch? And gave me her email. I said, oh my God, of course. And a couple of weeks later, I wrote uh, How Christmas Is Supposed To Be. And I thought, oh wow, this, is, this has got so much fun and, story to it. This is for like an actress singer. 
I thought, bloody hell, it's Sheridan Smith. So I sent it to her. She was like, I'm in 100%. The only downside is I'm in Manchester filming. I'm not allowed to leave. So I literally put my laptop in the car, my Universal Audio Apollo microphone, leaned the mattress up against the wall and recorded her. Got it done in about half an hour. You recorded her yeah. in a room with a mattress up against the yeah. wall? Yeah. Should we have a look at menus? I'd love to. I'd love to. I, I quite like the idea that you've actually chosen the day of release to just come and have lunch. Oh, this is what it's all about. As Thank these you. guys will know, I've, I've eaten here a fair bit over the years. All right, well, um, you have first shout and I'll, I'll follow you. Okay. I'm going to go uh, crab, I think, to start with. Sure. And then I've got to go lamb. Uh, and I'll start with the scallops. Sure. That's nice. And then I will have the venison. Would you like me to get you some side dishes with the mains? Oh, Ooh, that's a good one. That's shout. a very good shout. Yes, something green for me, please. Sure. Do you like a hispy cabbage? Or uh, would you like me to do a kale? Uh, cabbage is great. Yep. Yes, lovely. Sorry, that's, I'll let and you some of the carrots. Okay. So we're going on tour. You know, we play to know, average of 15,000 people a night over the next three weeks. I'm just, I've not, I haven't had COVID. I've had every jab known to man. I've had my flu jab. There's possibly only me. If I go down, the show's off. Um, uh, are you touring the, the um, Dream of Christmas or are you touring Music Made by Humans or a mixture of the two? A and A mixture of the two, which is unusual as well. Which is a lot of string arrangements, a lot of brass. Oh, it's, we've how, got, how, how big a... We've got 15 piece band and we've got six dancers with us. I mean, everything we've done, So, and we're in bubbles, so I'm in a bubble of three. Dancers are separate from band, who are separate from sound, who are separate from light. It just goes on. So it's a really tricky time to be doing this. But, you know, on the, the flip side of that is we're desperate to get out there. We're desperate to see the Have audience. you toured at all since? I've done a couple of gigs which were electric, as everyone, all my mates tour, are on tour right now, and they're all saying, you know, these audiences are far better than I am. Right. <laughs> I don't deserve this. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Well, tell us yeah, what we have. We have a new uh, truffle bougier. Comes with the parmesan cheese truffle cream and finished with the black truffle on the top. Wow. Life's all right, isn't it? Oh, isn't it great? <laughs> Happy Thank release. You. Yeah. You are hilariously um, going head to head with Jamie Cullum, who has his own Christmas album out. You've both done it in the bleak midwinter. Oh, it's an really? in the bleak midwinter off. Right. Well, listen, to start <laughs> with, J Jamie's one of my favorite artists. I, I love him. And you wish him well in the competition. I really, it's, it's a shame, Jamie, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely fine. You know, we're, um, I think we're both at a point in our careers where there's room for everyone. And where do you write? Do you write at a piano? Do you write at- Yeah, write at a piano. Uh, I guess most days, actually, I'll do something, but it's not with the pressure of a room full of people. Um, I'll chip away at things, and even in the back of a car, I'll sit, you know, trying to hone a chorus down or... And then, you know, for me, even last... Was it last Christmas? There was a Christmas recently where, like, on Christmas Eve, 10 o'clock in the morning, I get a call from David Heyman. Now, for anyone who doesn't know who David Heyman is, so he's done all the movies for Harry Potter, Fantastic Beast, you'll know who he is. Probably the most successful British film producer. So when he called you up, it's gonna be a good phone Did call. Did you know him before? Never knew him. 
And it's something I don't do. He wants a theme tune for a cartoon he's making of Paddington. So he's done all the Paddington movies. He's now turned it into a cartoon for Nickelodeon. They're gonna make 50 or something. It's a big gig. I don't do that. That's not how I earn. There, there are people out there who are... What, you don't do theme tunes? Don't do theme Have tunes. Have you never done a theme tune? Not really. By accident, maybe, but definitely done nothing like this bespoke. So I'm like, oh, David, you know, I'm really honoured you've called me. And but, but that's, you know, there's people out there. This is what they do every day. And they're brilliant at it, much better than I could be. And then I heard the tune in my head. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Just, just, can you, have you got half an hour? What, literally a melody I came could, to you? I could hear the spelling of Paddington. So I run into the studio. So my wife's getting all ready for Christmas. I don't want her to tell her I'm working on Christmas Eve. So I'm like, babe, I've just, I've just got to, I just, well, just give me half an hour. So I've told her one story. I've told Dave, um, David he's getting a demo and I literally go in and solve this puzzle in about 20 minutes. I stick down a piano vocal, I hit send, I run back in the house. Happy Christmas, everyone. Christmas continues. Meanwhile, David's calling me back. He's skiing somewhere. And he goes, I love this. This is perfect. Let's record it. So that's done then. I know in the new year, I'll go and get a band together. We'll put that thing, but that's, being reactive as a songwriter. Yeah. So uh, if anybody wants to go, unless you want to sing it to us now. P well, the, the, the line I had when I went in, into the studio was P-A-D-D-I-N-G-T-O-N, Paddington Bear. So it's for four-year-olds. It's a nursery rhyme. I'm, I'm great at those. That's the one that's, that ended up on the cartoon and yeah, they sold it to 50 countries. It, the, the, the cartoon won an award last year. It was wonderful. You've also, you've written songs for uh, lots of people. Paloma Faith, Lily Allen, Shirley Bassey. What's it like when you're going into bat with somebody who is also, I'm gonna try and use my fingers on this, see how it goes. Why not? The Shirley one was interesting because a friend of mine, David Arnold, was making a whole album. He's a so David Arnold pretty much became the James Bond composer for a, few for a years. while. Yeah, yeah. He he decided he was gonna have songs written for her for all from all these different artists, so like Pet Shop Boys, uh, Rufus Wainwright. There's a whole heap of us who've been asked to write songs. So this is like this is great fun. See, sometimes my approach isn't like the Paddington theme. I don't hear things. I need to work at them. So I'm sat there, anyway, I find this song, really happy with it. I play it to David and he goes, don't make a demo, sing it to Shirley. I'm like, oh God, oh, I can't do that. I don't want to sing in front of her. He was like, no, she she's gonna love it. Come into the studio, we're in air next week, bring it in. So I'm absolutely- Air Studios, just for anybody who's going, what she means. Air, air Studios, studio. gorgeous. Where George Martin did lots of, oh, I think he owned it for a while, actually. Beautiful studio in, in, in Hampstead. Went in there in that big, massive room, and in comes Shirley, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't just come in a room. She no, she's enters, an ocean liner striding across. Enters the room, floats across the floor. Um, and I've got all the dots written out and um, sit and perform this song to her, which actually went pretty well. I sing it pretty well. And she loved it and she was gonna go and record it. And so that's how that one came about. So you're still in touch with Shirley? And of course, yeah. And Shirley's very kindly come and sang on a couple of TV shows for me over the years. And I just love her. Doesn't everyone? She's just in incredible. 
Oh my goodness, here we go. Looks incredible. Right, so we got a pan roasted opening scallop. Comes with a different texture of the wild mushroom and finished with the pickled sashimi. We have the Cornish crab, uh, Cornish crab ravioli. Comes with the maya lemon and finished with the crab bisque. Wow. And also we do have some wine pairing with that for you as well. Well, I was going to ask a question because you've been involved in various competitions over the years. You're, you're involved in a new one now, aren't you? Yeah. In your heart, do you honestly think it's the best way to get into music? But you have to ask these people who are on these shows that question. You know, they're trying everything. They're trying to be seen in a world where there's so many talented people. And now, look, you know, we've got YouTube and there's millions of ways to be seen, but everyone's trying to get above everyone else. So. I know where you're going with this. Well, I, it was a, a, do you, I don't know if you read the thing Dave Grohl said, the Foo Fighters, he was saying, you know, the way it was meant to work was you were meant to get in a garage with your mates and be crap. And then you played some more and you were still crap and then you were still crap and you were crap for years and then you weren't. Right. And that was sort of how it happened and the, the competitions have gamified the business of talent. There is, there is a, a route to where we're going to and, and I've done that route and it's been great. Nothing has to be done one way. You can do it whichever way you like. When you did I'm With The Band, which I was disappointed was only a one-off, actually. Right, right, I was kind right. of thinking, right, what's on next? Oh, there isn't an extra. There might be another one. Oh, next good, year, yeah. good. Yeah. So I'm With The Band was you and a collection of very, very good musicians, including Jamie Callum. Right. I have to say the, the finale, Somebody Else's Guy, with Misha Paris knocking out the park. You picked up somebody from YouTube, didn't you? We a did. guitarist. Remind me of her name. Sophie. BBC One came to me and just said, you know, we, we need to put something on telly, something musical. We'll feel like we, we don't put enough music out. So I said, well, you know, selfishly, can I just get a load of mates together and play some music for an hour? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's put it together. But we all felt in rehearsals like, does this just feel like we're all just showing off for an hour? You know, wouldn't it be brilliant if we could have an element where we could find someone online? So of course, we're, over lunch break, we're all on our socials. You know, guitarists, drummers, bass player. We were looking and there's, there's so many people on there who were amazing. And we came across Sophie. And I thought, this girl looks great. Um, and in, in her um, description, she's a big James Bay fan and all the things were pointed to her. So I give her the production team, they went off and found her. Sophie and, Burrells, her name. Sophie Burrells, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, on she came in rehearsal and absolutely blew us away. And like I say, going back to the talent show thing, that's what they're all looking for. You know, and, and we're in an age where unfortunately, when I sit with broadcasters, they all say, oh, music doesn't work on TV anymore. What, that, what do they mean by that? I never know. You know, the sad thing about music on TV nowadays is, is that we're all sort of forced into a, a show which has nothing to do with music. And while the results are being totted up, they throw us on for, for two minutes. And that's kind of it. Um, so when things like this new show I'm doing, Walk the Line, or whether it's X Factor, or, I have to sit there and go, well, actually, as someone who loves music and loves young talent, thank God there's a window still. 
Have you and Simon Cowell found a way through your sometimes complicated relationship? I don't know where that all comes from. I really don't. Was there never really any there kind were, of thing? Do you know what? I've known Simon since 91. I remember him in his little office at Arista in uh, Putney Bridge. And you'd, you'd just say hello on your way past because we were signed to RCA. Never had much issues with Simon, as usual. Um, I think it possibly all started around X Factor. There was always this this overhanging shadow with X Factor that if you were on there, you know, there was a there was Simon with a scythe above you trying to get rid of people, and it possibly came from that. Is that good? So good. Yeah, take oh, that happens. You're, you're introduced to the rest of the boys. You become a band. One of the things I went and looked at, and it's kind of gets into a particular subject, was the video Prey, which is your right. breakthrough single. Uh -huh. And there's Howard, and there's Mark, and there's Jason, and there's Robbie, practically naked mm -hmm. in that video. Yeah. Young men ripped. I would go with softcore, I think. Right. And you are the lead vocal on that song, which you wrote. And you're also required to get your shirt undone. And I looked and thought... I did keep one button done. <laughs> did you notice that? I did. <laughs> but I found myself thinking, how old were you? 20, 19? Uh, so 92, Prey was. 21. How hard was that as a young man? You know, the guys, they always seemed to me like they were from Manchester. They were from the city. They had all the trainers, the tops. They were just the way they walked and the way they danced. We talk about how Jason, Mark, and, and Robbie. All of them. Yeah. They all. They were young, cool guys, and I. I always felt like the magician's assistant. Did you? Yeah, I did. Even though you were the one who was writing the song. Yeah, but that was in a dark room. When I got out there, I always felt in the. I was the one in the middle who was just like. Happy to be with these with guys, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always happy to be with them. Um, so I looked up to them a lot. You know, I used to look, looked up to Howard. You know, he was the one I was closest to in, in the 90s. And he was just, a, you know, he just had that, he still does. He has that DNA where he, he eats club sandwiches and McDonald's and still has the body of a Greek god. Bastard. Yeah, I hate him for that, hate him for it. And I make fun of him for it. You know, we had a manager who, who had a vision for us. And, you know, sometimes we agreed with it, sometimes we didn't, but he was right. It, 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 it got us to a place where we were, you know, we were globally a, the biggest band in the world at one point. Um, some of the things I was uncomfortable doing, but I did them because I was a young guy trying to get somewhere. And it wasn't, but there were bad things. There weren't, you know, things where I had you to therapy. You weren't abused by I him. wasn't abused, definitely yeah. wasn't. But there were things that I wouldn't naturally do, but everyone else seemed to fall into the role so beautifully and it felt right. And, and I suppose underneath it all, it was a just, it was a way of entertaining our crowd and getting the screams and the cheers and it was brilliant. Um, so it was a moment in time for us, that was. And, and, but, but interestingly, when we came back and all sat round a table again in 2005, it was like, I'm not doing this, 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 <laughs> and this, and never doing that again. What a prime on the list of never doing again. Well, things like, you know, Take taking your top off and, you know, hip thrusts and all the things that you do as a young person, which you go, right, we definitely don't need to do that again.
you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. If someone had come to you at, in that point, 92, and asked you to look at the rest of the band, the rest of your colleagues, would you have identified Robbie as the one who was like to go off and have the huge solo career? I'd have identified him, definitely. He was, he was ta talented, very naturally, he was. And it's possibly where we, we were in competition and the others weren't really. Um, Rob was wanting to get to the front and... Because um, he had the voice. He had a great voice, always had a great, very natural given talent he had. And it's funny, but the, 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 my beef with Rob is, and we still talk about this, is that I'll spend six weeks rehearsing a five minute piece to perfect it and every move and, and note, I'll know what I'm doing. And I'll go out and I'll get a great response. Robbie gets given the song four minutes before he goes out. He learns it and goes out and gets a better response. That's what annoys me about him. <laughs> What's that about? Yeah, he's, he's just got a gift. He's just got a gift. And, um, you know, he, he always calls it the, the Freddie Star syndrome. He loves going out Is and doing five minutes. The audience go crazy. They're all going out and he walks off and he's gone. As I prefer like a two hour thing where I can warm people up and it's got highs and lows. I love that, you know, an evening of, of taking the audience on a journey. And it's a funny thing, and to, to watch him and witness him, you know, and you can be a Robbie fan or not, when Rob walks in a room, he's a presence. Although I remember one particular show, but he said, it's been a bit boring up till now, but uh, it's all right, I'm here now. <laughs> the incredible thing was, he was right. There you go, um, there you go. He was absolutely right. Well, main courses oh, are arriving. Oh my goodness. There's many people. It's at least five. I, think it's I all must have ordered a rack of lights. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Yes, you have got a rack of lamb, haven't you? We've got the lamb rack, comes with the roasted courgette and the finished with the burn, um, burn uh, aubergine. Uh, puree and also lamb shoe. And then you've got the Scottish venison, comes with the blackberries and different texture of the beetroot, kale, uh, haunch, uh, braised haunch, potato, and finish with the venison shoe. Thank you. Bon appetit. Won't go through the whole or take that. But there, there is a moment when you're, you've all gone your separate ways, uh, the risk of intruding on private grief, and you lose your record deal at the age of 27. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering whether that experience has impacted on the way that you respond to young artists, you've been in management of, of people, you had a record label. Mm -hmm. Does it impact the way you deal with people now? Um, I think at the, at the core of it all, it, it's, it's a wonderful lesson, that is. And possibly a lesson that was needed in a way. It had all gone my way for years and years. 
And as we all know, you don't learn much from success, but you learn an awful lot from failure. I didn't realise at the time, I wish I had, I'd have enjoyed my, those years much more than I did. But it was all a, a great starting point to build myself back up to, to coming back and doing, I think, some what ended up some of my best work I'd ever done. But it didn't feel like that at the time. It felt like the end. And then what comes with that is, is the side of you, and I don't want to do it again either. I don't want to be. In fact, I'm going to do even better than that. I'm going to, I'm going to kill the pop star. I'm going to make myself look completely unrecognisable now. And that's what it was like for me. It was like taking a part. Do you part. honestly think it was a conscious decision to take a part the Gary Barlow who danced on the beach for Prey? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to make sure when I went out in public, no one recognised me. It's hard, isn't it? It's odd and it's, yeah. hard. it's a hard thing to do. Did yeah. you succeed? I did. Well, you could walk among us and nobody was, would recognise you. It was quite wonderful for a, for a few years until the penny dropped. Where did the penny drop? Was there a moment? The penny dropped about 2000 and, and f uh, about 2000 and our daughter was about two at the time. And I was in a place where I was travelling to London. I was actually doing a bit of music work at the time. I was tired all day. I was smoking at the time, which I, I, um, I was drinking a bit. I was eating a lot it, to, to almost put myself into a coma, the food was. And working, kind of busy working, and it, and it had all just got out of control. And I felt, I just felt shit. I thought, I've got to do something about this. I've got to change something. Um, and so I did the opposite to what any sort of life coach, dietitian will tell you. They will say, make small little changes because they'll all end up in big changes. Oh no, I knew better than that. I went big change. And um, just like, kind of stopped eating for a bit really. Went, went running, um, stopped the drink, did, did a complete flip. Any, any food was the enemy. I had pretty much every diet book was on the market. I'd read them all. And just thought, oh. there is one thing I want to say at this point. As someone who has judged cookbooks and all of that, if any single diet book ever worked, nobody would ever publish another one. That's right. And none of them do. It's true. It's true. And it really annoys me. Yeah, it is. It's true. Uh, and because um, I'm, I'm asked a lot off things like this by people who are so desperate to change how, how they are. I mean, listen, I'm no expert at this but i definitely know a few a few tips and it, and it doesn't start with this it starts up here you pointed to your head at that yeah, point yeah. in case anybody was wondering where you're pointing it starts in your head did you hesitate about the idea of coming to be interviewed over lunch i'm just curious um, not really it's still part of my day thinking about what to eat and what not to eat and although it's a man you're fabulous if i may say so from one large man to one skinny man <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have, I have caution around food stuff, but I'm in a much better place than I was. Actually, um, this is where we have to share our gear slut uh, habits. Okay. What was your first, so I know about the, the, the little keyboard you got on Christmas uh -huh. and then the Yamaha organ thing. Yeah. What was the first real synth that you got? SH-101. Ha! It was my second. 250 quid. Um, Still got it. You still got it. At this point, Gary and I embarked on a long and very detailed conversation about synthesizers. As a service to you, the listeners, we've edited most of it out. Preset. 
set on the DX7 and no one could program the bug. And the other big one was the electric piano, which oh, yeah, was on all those Whitney Houston records. I'm not, I'm not such a fan of that. But didn't you have a conversation like this with Prince? You're gonna love this. <laughs> I meet lots of pop stars. I'm never in, much impressed by pop stars. They're just people. But Prince stepped aside from this, this whole rule. I was in LA, I was singing at the end of this party. I thought, you know what, I'm gonna ask a couple of mates to come. I feel like I'm on my own here. I was working with Nicole Scherzinger at the time, doing X Factor. And I said, Nicole, we, are you in LA? She says, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I said, will you just come and be a friendly face for me tonight? You know, there's a little after show thing afterwards. We have a party was it? It was some Oscars thing or, anyway. She said, can I bring a plus one? I said, yeah, bring a plus one. I was thinking, you know, a neighbor or a girlfriend or, she, she brought Prince with her. So, so the audience leave, we go to this after show thing, back comes Prince. There's about 10 of us in this space. And just, it just so happens that as I get up to go and reposition myself, I'm face to face with Prince. And I think, what do I say here? I've met him a couple of times before, but just, you know, going on before the MTV Music Awards or something, nothing. So I just went, oh, wow, it's lovely to meet you. In this modern world of laptops and, you know, all the rest of it, you know, how, how is it for you, you know, as a, as a, uh, someone who's used to working mixing desks and now I'd read an interview of his in Sound on Sound in like 1987. I knew all his gear, even Tides, Lexicon, I knew everything they used in those studios in Paisley Park. And he started saying, that's a really interesting question because for me, when I'm in my studio and I put a guitar up, I said, don't tell me, even Tide 2016. He was like, what? So I got into this whole, I thought I was bad. He is on a whole other level. German microphones, stuff that when the wall opened and he, he, he was on the phone to companies called, like Geffel, who we'd never been able to buy those mics before. He was shipping them over to it. It was a whole level we never knew. And it went on for like 40 minutes. Just talking gear. Everyone was bored around us, dying to talk to Prince, and I had him. Had him. Here's the question, when you're writing a song, is the gear, is the available kit helpful to that? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, sometimes it helps me um, put them in, in, a, in a time and a place. Sometimes they take me to the song, and sometimes not. Sometimes it's just a piano and I start and, and you know, for instance, if I'm, if I'm, when I wrote that, take that album, Progress, all five were back together. The first thing I thought of was how the hell are five people gonna write an album? This is gonna be impossible. Cause that was kind of the agreement, wasn't it? You were no longer gonna be an unbalanced band with you sure. leading it. You were all writing it, all taking credit and dividing everything five ways. Which was great. And we'd done this as a four very successfully, but all of a sudden we've got Robbie coming back. Now he's a, he can write songs 100%, you know, what, how are we gonna fit? And so what I did was, I did it all backwards. I spent about six months just making these instrumentals of things that sounded like hit records. I took, I got everyone together, got in a studio and pressed play. And I had mics like this up, recording everything everyone was singing. And people would just take turns. And we'd go, oh, that, bit, that bit's good. And, and then as people run out of ideas, I'd put another one on, oh, this is great, let's do this. And so all of a sudden, within an hour, 
you had like six start of six songs. That moment when you hit a song, is it always clear to you? It's always hard to answer these questions without sounding like a know-it-all, but you just know. You don't know, there's something that just tingles up your arm and you, you, you suddenly, this is good, this is good. It strikes me talking to you today, on the day of the release of an album, which I'm sure by the time this is, you know, dropped to the nation, um, will be soaring up the charts. You're very comfortable with where you're at right now. Pretty good day, this. <laughs> no, I am. I am. Um, I don't know why that is. Um, it's no easier, I don't think, for, for anyone who's been doing it for a long time. I think you just know what to expect more. Does age help? You, uh, have you just turned 50 or are you open? Yeah, I'm 50 now, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. It's funny, it was always big in my early life and it's big again now for me. I think, I think, uh, I think my generation of artists, they take their audience and they want to entertain them. Christmas in your house. Yeah. Are you going to play your own album? First your. <laughs> Sorry, kids. Whether you like it or not, I've got a record player. And it only comes out at Christmas. We've got, we've got some classics, Sinatra, we've got Bing Crosby, and now, mine. Has it been released on vinyl as well? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, to the Barlow family, I wish you well on Christmas Day. Brilliant. There can be dessert in our future if you want it, but for now, let me say... Uh, Gary Barlow, thank you very much for letting thank me take you, you out to so, lunch. It's been so lovely. Thank you. What an absolute pleasure that was. I'm sorry you didn't hear all of our chat about Music Gear. For the special subscribers, Gear Chat won't be making it into the bonus content either. I know you're hugely disappointed, but honestly, you can thank me. Um, for details of his tour, visit GaryBarlow.com. And for his new wine range, go to GaryBarlowWines.com. If you love the show, do please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do share this with literally everyone you know. Uh, it will be an ornament to their lives. Um, leave a review, give us five stars if you can. It really does help us to make more of them. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner, and Robert Rickenberg. The recording and mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Reem and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time, it's actor and director Sam West. You can play the Rani's assistant in the Children in Need episode. And I said, I'm there. And um, it's famously the worst episode of Doctor Who ever made and wasn't released on DVD until quite recently because of some rights issues. And frankly, I wish it still remained unreleased. <laughs>